This is CX of M Radio, the voice of customer experience professionals. future. I'm going to have a few guests on and we're going to talk about some of the nightmares in UX that really it's almost like a piggyback on this particular series because there's a lot of things happening in UX that a lot of people wish they knew how to navigate around them. And we're going to talk about that a little bit today. Well, they wish they knew that these types of things could possibly happen. I mean, imagine people like we talked about recently in our series about about UX boot camps and we were talking about the the some of the problems associated with boot camps and one of the things we covered was the issue of false promises that a lot of people at boot camps are are promising jobs to their graduates even though nobody can promise you a job and so people buy in because they're going to be enriched Anywhere to the tune of seven to twenty-four thousand dollars, you're going to be out of seven to twenty-four thousand dollars, and then you'll end up with a testimony like other people I've talked to, myself and others have talked to, to say, "Wow, not only could we have learned the same stuff by doing Google searches on a regular basis, not only could we have maybe obtained a lot of this information just by paying a, a regular small monthly fee and getting the this information and then some, and then taking a bunch of great courses from the Interaction Design Foundation. But a lot of people have said that we learn more just from interacting with you, Darren, and people like you who are willing to give us downloads for free, I might add. <laughs> no, you didn't. That, that wasn't a sound effect. I did that. Uh, because just trying to illustrate that there are better and smarter ways, but these types of quote unquote resources are available because of the cycle of dysfunction that we're in, in the world of UX, where educational resources have come to the forefront that are not good. People claiming to be mentors and thought leaders have come to the forefront. It's not good. UX operations are being run by people who are happy, very happy to be in the jobs they have. But there's a lot of unqualified people in UX leadership positions, folks, all over. And and something we talked about in the first part of the series was how that there's a lot of, of, I mean, just the people who have a very small perspective 
of what the world of UX is, but it is extremely large. When you think about how many companies have UX people, how many UX practitioners there are in the world, how many people are in UX jobs that really have no idea what they're doing. And they will tell you that they've got imposter syndrome. I've got imposter syndrome. We've got a, uh, um, an episode coming up to break that down. But if you want to see about that ahead of time, check out my channel, the UX Uncensored channel on Medium, and you'll see an article where I talked about really just giving you the harsh truth about imposter syndrome. There's no such thing. It's called life, folks. And there are times that we, I mean, that's contributing to the cycle of UX dysfunction. People think they feel like they're imposters when in fact, some of them are imposters, and that's why they feel like that. And then on the flip side of that, there are people who feel like they're imposters because they're being sold a bill of goods. Some people are like trying to gaslight real UX professionals because they don't like the fact that you're a real UX professionals. And gaslighting is at the core of this whole imposter syndrome thing. Even the people who came up with it were gaslit, and they bought into being gaslit, and then they created the concept of, imposter syndrome when the truth is they simply did not stand up for themselves when they were being subjected to mental abuse by their male counterparts. That's really what it was. If you want to stand against the cycle of UX dysfunction, and this all, it's all related, you have to stand up for what you know to be accurate. No matter what people will say. And, and people give people like me, we get, we get a lot of grief from people, they like to accuse us of being gatekeepers for saying things like what I'm saying right now. We have an episode coming up on that as well. Do you know that a gatekeeper is not a bad thing? When you go and, and check out the history of gatekeeping, gatekeeping was the means by which a discipline was was made safe. So I'm proud to be a gatekeeper today. I'm proud to be called a gatekeeper because the person in their ignorance that's accusing me of being a gatekeeper and doing it in a derogatory way is actually gaslighting. Again, gaslighting is at the core of imposter syndrome. So away with the gaslighting, know who you are, know what you bring to the table, know what you're doing. And as said in the UX cycle of excellence, when you can look at yourself and identify knowledge and skill gaps, just fill them, find out how to do what you don't know. Find out how to understand what you don't understand. When you do those things, you fill the knowledge gaps and skill gaps with something that belongs. And when you do that, guess what you won't feel like? An imposter. And imposters like claiming imposter syndrome. And one of the ways I said in my Medium article that you can tell a person does not have what they claim to have is when they hide behind the cloak of imposter syndrome and then they spend a bunch of time trying to ruin and detrimentally impact their peers. The person doesn't have imposter syndrome. The person's a, is a snake in the grass. <laughs> and they're using that as a cloak so that they can get away with murder. So away with imposter syndrome. And, and it has people, it has an element of dysfunction. It fuels UX dysfunction. And we want to shut that down today. But as mentioned last week, as we wrap up this topic, we talked about some of the areas where dysfunction actually is is fueled things that are contributing to it the the professionals that are not sound leadership that's not sound uh, uh, the 
different different stakeholders, people who are who are giving a flawed view of what they think UX is and devaluing it, even though what they're devaluing really isn't UX. Even though they say they're devaluing UX, they really don't know. Uh, these people contributed to it. There's flawed improperly structured UX education and education that's being delivered by sources that really are not authorized to engage in education. That contributes to dysfunction. UX jobs, flawed titles, the the poorly written job descriptions, and then the people who don't know what to do. So they go to, to LinkedIn or Glassdoor or Indeed, and they, they copy what they don't know to be a flawed UX job description, and then they bring it into their organization. That contributes to dysfunction managers that should not be anywhere near the manager role in a UX or a director role as a UX practitioner. There's a lot of people out there. They shouldn't have these jobs and the people that should have the jobs can't get anywhere near them because leadership doesn't know what UX is and the HR departments don't know what UX is. The recruiters don't know what UX is. So they put unqualified people in these roles and they slap a title on them and then everybody thinks this person is great. I got to add another one in I didn't mention last week as well. And I sort of touched on it when I talked about what Google was doing, but just because a big name company says something about UX doesn't make it true. Adobe's guilty of this today. Google is guilty of it. Amazon's guilty of it. A lot of companies are guilty of this thing today and they don't get to say what they want and it's true. And they don't get to to say which direction we should go with regard to UX. And it's true. They're not leaders in UX because they have a big name. And so that's contributing to dysfunction, uh, which is on the line of the thought leader piece. A lot of thought leaders and so-called mentors that are not, that's contributing to dysfunction. Websites, social media, YouTube channels, flawed mentorship programs are out here claiming to be something that they're really not presenting something that they don't really have knowledge in, that they're not experts in. Uh, all of these things contribute to dysfunction. And through all of these, really, last week I mentioned that it was that last point, but really all of these end up offering up touch points associated with UX that are flawed. And, and anytime somebody experiences a flawed touch point, they have a flawed experience, and then if that flawed experience is used to represent something from an authoritative perspective, and then you get somebody who's unsuspecting, who doesn't have a filter, who doesn't know how to apply critical thinking so they can judge the resources properly, they accept it. And then that always comes out in the wash as dysfunction. This is the state that we're in today. So all these things said, all these things Done. Okay, we, we, we've established that we're currently experiencing and operating in a global cycle. The discipline, you as an individual today, maybe you're okay, but you're part of a dysfunctional uh, uh, culture, if you will. You're part of a dysfunctional environment that UX is dysfunctional and it needs our attention. It doesn't change the fact that UX is great. It doesn't change the fact that UX can bring value and some people are bringing value and some organizations are indeed doing it right, but the vast majority are not. And then because we're all part of the whole, then that, that impacts us all. So the name of the game is it's time to break the cycle. And I'm recruiting, I'm calling people out, I'm challenging people today in this episode 
And and it sort of saddens me in the back of my mind, even though I'm I'm calling people to to the task at hand. I know that a lot of people won't do it because I'm not one of, I'm not the only person that sees what's been happening all these years. There are a few of us that are standing up like me. There are a lot of people who saw the same exact things I did and chose to do and say absolutely nothing. And because of that, that's how this whole thing got fueled. Because if people saw the wrong, people are being hired to these roles, let's do something about it. Let's start doing something about it now. If 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 half of the people that were silent had done something, we would not be in the state we're in. I remember on LinkedIn, and I, I love the LinkedIn interactions for the most part, but when the bad ones happen, it just makes you want to just go somewhere and, and just throw your hands up almost. But I refuse to throw up my hands. But I'm about to tell you a quick little nightmare story uh, just to illustrate the last point I made, how that there was a, an author, uh, a known author, who saw us refu- referring to the type of thing I'm talking about right now, how that we have to keep fighting the good fight. And other people, they knew what they what we were saying and they were buying into it. They understood that there's a challenge and we have to keep standing up and representing UX properly and trying to bring value and helping in our organizations. Understood all of these things. And this author stepped into the discussion and said, we need to stop calling it a fight. Nobody's fighting. But you know what? The author wasn't fighting. And the author is comfortable because the author is ringing in royalties from their book. And they're being called around the world to come in and speak to people about the topics and the content in their book. This person has risen to a point of being privileged and is not being detrimentally impacted by the things that myself and other people are addressing. So they have opted. This is where a lot of people are today some of them are just flat out i've said this before and i'll say it again a lot of people are just cowards they don't want to speak up because they don't want to deal with the backlash they don't want to deal with what happens when you choose to speak up See, it's interesting and i'll give you another example of that in a moment that we were talking about in the ux book club that shout out to the ux book club people with uh, randy over there i love that that group and what we do and going through ux books together but if, the, if you're not, you haven't recognized the fight, we're not saying this to condemn you, we're not trying to make you feel bad, uh, we're just bringing it to your attention. And then you can make a choice what you're going to do, and you're going to make a choice. You've already made a choice, more than likely. But to say that there's no fight is to dismiss everything that's happened. It's to dismiss all of the terrible things. There was a very famous person that I got into a discussion about this with, and I was talking specifically about hiring issues and how a lot of true seniors are being rejected. I mean, we're just starting to see people who are qualified for, tr- for true UX leadership to go into true UX leadership roles. And, and the companies that are doing this deserve a huge kudos because a lot of big companies are not your Facebooks and companies like that are not, a lot of them are rejecting folks who really know the discipline. And when you send unqualified people 
to do an interview, that's dysfunctional, folks. Don't send people that don't know what UX is to an inter- to do an interview. I, I'm a, oh my god, I have so many stories that are coming to mind now that I, I just can't say. I, I mentioned to one person in a conversation once um, something about being elected to a position with the UXPA. And for those of you that don't know, I did just get elected to a position with the UXPA International as a director of education. And thank you for all of you out there who voted for me and recognize my passion and what I can bring to the table. I was in a conversation with somebody and I mentioned that. And the person holding a UX position, not that everybody knows this again, I'm not saying it's a shame anymore, I'm saying it to make a point. And that's it. When I told I talked about the UXPA and a person said, what is that? The person had no idea what the UXPA is. And for those of you that don't know, the UXPA is the largest professional association that supports user experience professionals. The largest in the world. And the person had no idea. But the person was claiming to be, okay, because a lot of newer UX people won't know. But And, and if you're new to the world of uh, professionalism as a whole, maybe you're recently a recent college grad and things like that, you may or may not be that the knowledge about professional associations will be up and down. But that person should have known. So that person in hearing that did not know how to ascribe value to me when I made that statement. Joe Blow doesn't get in that position, in other words. And so it's just interesting the the, the mindset that people have. But these things are, are, are really great illustrations of the dysfunction that's at work. And please note, everything that I'm calling out as a dysfunction, if it was done the right way, if it operated correctly, the discipline would be that much better off. When you come in, if you're if you're taking on a role, a leadership role in a large professional association and people realize you went into that role, if that person knows what they should know, they go, wow, congratulations, that's great. And they can ascribe value to you because of the role that you're in. But people like that are the same kind of people that are out on Reddit who are patting people on the back about things that they should be puking about. These are just to be pretty, pretty graphic with that example, but I'm going to be that raw today. It's th- these types of things are dangerous to us, folks. The people, the thousand people who liked the article on Medium about someone trying to tell you about the difference between a UX designer and a product designer, even though they've never operated in any role a day in their lives, that person should not have a thousand likes. But because we're in this dysfunctional cycle, these things are flowing. So so I promise to share with you, well, I'll finish this one other story and we'll leave it at that. I talked to the person about what's going on in hiring spaces, what happening, what's happening with seniors. And the person said, I talk to people all the time and I don't see this thing happening at all. And I knew some of the people he had been talking to and I began to remember things I knew about in their organizations. That person doesn't want to recognize it, just like that author, that person doesn't want to recognize it because it'll cost them money, frankly. And if they call these things out, if they call these things out, 
they'll lose money. So they choose to be silent. And that goes into that coward realm of folks that I was talking about. Just downright ridiculous. And you know, I will share that that last example with you as an example of, of, of dysfunction. I'm sure a bunch of you have heard before that the saying that if Henry Ford had asked people if they wanted what they wanted, they would have said faster horses. And that quote is used to try to say that asking users or doing research that is used in many cases to say that doing user research or research with users, I should say, when I say user research, that's what we mean, but people get confused with that. So I'll clarify it. They think that that invalidates doing research with users. They think that it makes it, uh, and a lot of people, when they think research, they think market research. So when you're talking about UX research, they don't differentiate between marketing and UX research because their understanding is dysfunctional, frankly. And so then they don't ascribe value to UX research because they equate it to market research. But the two things are actually different. So I'm sure, again, some of you have heard that old Henry Ford quote. But do you know that he didn't say that? He didn't say it. Well, I was in a situation once where I told somebody that I let them know. I let them know privately you know, because the person just said it and they were proud to say it and they called themselves informing everybody, uh, but they were engaged in misinformation and misinformation is akin to dysfunction. So I let them know and the person basically poo-pooed off what I said because they were too busy worried about feeling bad that they had embraced something that wasn't true instead of just owning it. Wow, really? Thanks for that and moving on. A lot of people will continue in dysfunction because they're worried about the embarrassment associated with having done the wrong thing. But we've got to be bigger than that. This is one way of breaking the cycle. We need to own what we have done that was incorrect in the past. If you've ever done or been committed to something that is not accurate, own it and then discard it, renounce it. You don't have to keep going, but you also don't don't act like you didn't make a mistake because we all make them and we're going to make them. We're going to all make mistakes this week. The thing is that when you recognize it's a mistake, just renounce the thing, let own it and get rid of it. Stop doing it. And then you're good. The next thing we have to do to break the cycle is we have to embrace what's accurate. Building on that last point, we need to embrace what's accurate. When we embrace accuracy, when we embrace things associated with excellence, it will sort of almost act like a cognitive repellent in a sense that when we come across things that are not excellent, we won't partner with it. We won't embrace it. But that means that we have to get educated the right way. We have to learn what is and is not acceptable and then only embrace what is acceptable. When we do that, it helps us to break the cycle. We need to start managing our UX maturity levels, which means you have to bring in UX people to run your UX operations. Because if you keep appointing art directors and creative directors and mark so-called marketing whizzes and geniuses to run your UX operations, you are going to be completely and consistently and continuously rooted in dysfunction. And that costs money, folks. If you keep rolling out solutions or taking too long 
because people are so committed to processes instead of doing things the way they need to do it. We need to roll out things the right way. And sometimes we need to move fast. Well, there's ways to move fast and still be excellent. Yeah, you're going to be prone when you're, I mean, because most of us, a lot of us work in agile environments. And that's what I mean when I say that. You're going to be working fast. Learn how to work fast and in excellence. Learn how to do it. But there's a way to do it and not be dysfunctional. So we have to strive for that today. And if we don't strive for excellence, there's no way that we're going to achieve it. And we have to really learn to detest anything associated with dysfunction, which brings me to my last point on what we do to overcome dysfunction. And this is a little bit different. And it's that one of my favorite authors, Patrick Lencioni, wrote a book called The Five Dysfunctions of a Team. And one of in his book, one of the key contributing factors to dysfunction is trust. One of the reasons why trust or why dysfunction rather is rife in UX circles is because a lot of UX people want to get you, they want to get trust automatically instead of laboring to earn it. If you realize that you have to labor to earn trust and do what it takes to earn the trust legitimately, if you do that, you can then dispel dysfunction. But guess what? If people aren't educated right, they won't be able to earn trust. If people are, uh, the jobs and the titles are not structured properly and the job descriptions aren't written correctly, you're not going to attract the right people and that's going to cause your hiring process to be a bit askew. If you don't hire the right people to run your UX operations, you're not going to be able to build the trust because you're always doing things that are rubbing your stakeholders, your clients, your leadership the wrong way, and you won't be able to judge talent appropriately and you hire all the wrong people. If, if, if we keep listening to thought leaders and you have people who are in your operations that are embracing faux thought leaders, then that's going to keep you from being able to bring value. And if you don't bring value, you won't get trust. And then you're fueling all of these things contribute to all of these dysfunctional elements that I op, that I identified for you are all things that contribute to the dysfunction, the cycle of dysfunction that we're walking in. So as a committee of one, each individual has to do their part and make sure that we're doing what we need to do to break the cycle. It starts with us as individuals. Embrace the cycle of excellence that I talked about in the first part of this. If you have to, listen to the episode that talks about the UX cycle of excellence. We have to do that. And in so doing, we will dispel issues associated with dysfunction, but it will only happen when we come together. At least most of us. We got to come together because when most of us are doing the right thing, the people that aren't will stick out like a sore thumb instead of the people that are doing things right and calling things out being called out as bad guys and perpetrators, which we are not. Bad hiring needs to stop. Bad elements of operation for UX needs to stop. Bad descriptions of what UX brings to the table need to stop. And when that can stop, we can bring it to a certain level. I'd love to stop it completely. It'll never stop completely because people are always determined to do the wrong thing for some reason. But if we can get to the point where most people will buy in, we can break the cycle. So I hope people will embrace this 
and take that to heart today. So that's it. We're done. Oh, it did take three weeks. That's projected, but we're all set, folks. It's time to sign off. Thanks again for joining me. This is the host of the world of UX, Darren Hood, signing off. Happy UXing, everybody. Thanks for joining us for this session of CX of M Radio. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the show and visit cxofm.org for more resources.